White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Good afternoon and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We got you for an hour of White Sox conversation. And the White Sox have given us a little news to cover here on the show. You have likely heard about the trade that's picked up two relievers for the White Sox bullpen in 2018. i got to keep reminding myself that it's 2018. I actually have a big post-it note right there on the screen in front of me to remind me that it's 2018. And thank God we don't write checks anymore. I, I always had it where you would write to 2007 and then cross it out and like pretend like you're like you're a kindergartner with a bad crayon that you actually wrote the right year. You weren't fooling anyone. Anyway, I've got the big post-it note and things are fixed. It's 2018, and this is the first White Sox weekly of the brand new year, and we've got two brand new relievers to talk about some as well. Uh, White Sox. Oh, and some rumors too. A couple of rumors popping in and out about the White Sox and free agency. Uh, certainly, a couple of spots the White Sox could add on to. Perhaps in the rotation, perhaps in the infield. Uh, we'll deal with some of those as well throughout the day. You can, as always, check out the show in podcast form, WLSAM.com slash White Sox. All of our shows are podcast there, so if you missed one, you want to pick it up or just go back and listen to a favorite guest, you can do it right there, WLSAM.com slash White Sox, and check out the podcast. Speaking of guests... James Fegan of The Athletic will join us here right after the 12.30 news, about 12.35 or so. We'll talk to James and get his take on the uh, the deal the White Sox made, the three-way trade between the Dodgers, the Royals, and the White Sox that has uh, changed around the makeup of the Sox bullpen. We'll talk to him about a couple of rumors, and he's got a real good piece out on Reynaldo Lopez and what the 2018 season may need to have in store for Reynaldo for him to take the next big step in the White Sox rotation. We'll ask him about that as well. Sox fans, you can sign up for SoxFest 2018 right now to receive a Hawk Harrelson talking bobblehead. The exclusive giveaway item is only available through SoxFest hotel packages. Join us January 26th through January 28th for a weekend of White Sox baseball that you will not want to miss. Hotel packages are available now at WhiteSox.com slash Sox Fest. So amidst the bleak midwinter of hot stove news, really it, it has been a quiet winter, save, you know, some flurries at the winter meetings. Of course, you know, when you have the NL MVP traded, as Giancarlo Stanton was to the Yankees, that's certainly big news, but it's really kind of been one big sandwich and then just kind of picking at the crumbs and hoping there's maybe an endless amount of fries coming around to keep us fat this winter. The White Sox, though, have made a trade, and we have meat on the plate to talk about. Two new relievers added to the bullpen here by the White Sox in the last few days. Luis Avilan comes over from the Dodgers. He is a 28-year-old left-hander, goes 6'2", 225, and the strikeout numbers were good for Avilan last year. The Sox have also picked up Joaquin Soria, who... Sure, White Sox fans don't need much of an introduction to pitching for the Royals for the first five years of his career, then heading over to the Rangers for a few, then Detroit, then the Royals again. White Sox fans have seen plenty, and in a lot of cases, too much of Joaquin Soria pitching out of the back end of the Royals bullpen, to be sure. But now he is a Chicago White Sox. 
and added perhaps to the back end of that bullpen. Soria, uh, even though he just finished up his, his age, I guess that would be his age 33 season, it'll be 34 for the bulk of the 2018 season, Soria had a pretty darn good year for the Royals last year. His strikeout numbers were good. He was throwing hard. He was not walking uh, as many as he had the year before, though those numbers have popped up just a little bit over the last two seasons in Kansas City. 10.3 strikeouts per nine is certainly a quality number for Joaquin Soria. In exchange, or to get those two players, the White Sox had to part ways with Jake Peter, a second baseman who... Rick Hahn called a prospect to watch during the winter meetings. Those words proved prophetic, but not perhaps in the way we thought they would. A prospect that was on the move from the White Sox over to the Dodgers. Those are the particulars of the deal. Oh, I should add in one more. Uh, Cash in this is not completely insignificant. The White Sox have the Royals picking up a bit of the Joaquin Soria deal, and the Dodgers are adding in a couple of bucks for the Luis Avilon deal. So, You add in, in case you're doing the contracts in your head and the 2018 White Sox budget in your head, if you are, good on you. Add about $9 million to the payroll for Joaquin Soria and Luis Avilan, and you've got yourself to right about the correct spot. A little bit of relief um, for the White Sox on both contracts, but basically you're adding two relievers and $9 million for Jake Peter. Uh, prospect who was blocked by Yoan Mankata at Peter's best position, second base. So how does this affect the White Sox in 2018? What is it that's going to end up shaking down the tree here? I, I think two things. I, I think a handful of things, but two really pop out first and foremost. What this does is push back the White Sox necessity, the White Sox uh, having to lean on a few arms who just got into the major leagues this past season. I'm thinking about guys like Aaron Bummer. I'm thinking about guys like Jace Fry. And I'm even thinking, I I suppose, a bit, though it's a different category, about a guy like Nate Jones or even perhaps Carson Fulmer if he's in and out of the rotation, if... You know, because if you look at depth charts, and although Rick Hahn had said that Carson Fulmer is, you know, the intention is to have him in the rotation to start the year, free agency adds an arm here or there could move those plans around, and you might have Carson Fulmer throwing some out of the bullpen, or or really, you know, perhaps another minor leaguer moving up uh, from that AAA rotation, one of the Jordans, perhaps, Jordan Guerrero, Jordan Stevens, moving up to take some innings there, perhaps their next step is not necessarily in the rotation, but in the bullpen. Anyway, with Avilan and with Soria, you've got veteran arms who give you a little bit of flexibility, really a lot more flexibility with some of the younger guys than you had prior to it. I think the other thing what it, the other thing it does is this, and I'm going to be really interested to see exactly how Ricky Renneria chooses to use his bullpen in 2018. In 2017, at least for the beginning of the season, Really, he could do no wrong. I, with the way Tommy Canely pitched and Swarzak pitched and Robertson pitched and even you know a handful of innings from Duke and, uh, and, and from Jones, too, solid stuff all around. I mean, everybody in that bullpen was throwing flame and, and striking guys out. This season, it's going to be a little different. And in adding these veterans, Avilan and Soria, to Nate Jones, 
you've you've got some mix there late in ball games. I'll be interested to see what he has to say, what Ricky has to say, come Sox Fest about the idea of you know who's closing games, because you certainly have two guys in Soria, Joaquin Soria and Nate Jones, who either have closed games before and in the bullpen as it's constructed. In the case of Soria, you know it would make sense to perhaps hand that inning to him. In the case of Nate Jones, I, I think Sox fans have seen, I, I think Nate has seen too. He's getting closer and closer over the last few years to being that closer in waiting, to being a guy who, if you're following those kind of traditional bullpen roles, or at least in the last you know, 15, 20 years, those traditional bullpen roles, he's been that setup guy. He's been the guy who, on nights off for the closer, has shut down games um, for Robin Ventura in the past as, as Nate came up into the White Sox system. Sounds like the expectation is for Nate to be good and ready to roll, healthy, I suppose, and, and ready to roll, the proper way to say it, for the beginning of this season. And that's certainly a plus, especially with the way Nate's pitched in the past. But I still don't you – know, you don't want to have to lean on him in back-to-backs every single night. You don't want to have to you know, put the pressure on him coming back off injury again uh, the way that you had to in the past and with Soria – and with Avilan, you get a little bit of leeway there. Uh, I want to get into you know some of the rest of it, who Luis Avilan is, uh, what we saw from Joaquim Soria over the last couple of years, Avilan working in the National League. Sox fans may not be all that familiar with his pro- for- portfolio with Soria. We'll just tell you about his last season some, because if you have to be reminded of, I don't know, 2007 to 2011, his work with the Royals, uh, then perhaps you weren't watching a whole lot of baseball, which is fine. Maybe we will circle back to those years for our younger fans. Uh, but for a lot of White Sox fans, Joaquin Soria is a, a known commodity. But we'll update you on how the 34-year-old has looked the last two seasons. Sox fans, it's never too early to lock in a 2018 ticket package. Full and partial ticket plans are available, including a lower-level 10-game plan starting at $230. Take advantage of great benefits like discounted pricing and flexible payment plans. For more information, call 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. I'm Connor McKnight. You have White Sox Weekly. We'll be back in a couple on WLS AM 890. Chris Plant. We think you'll find him the perfect fit between John and Ray and Rush. Chris Plant. Nine till Rush at 11 on WLS AM 890. Back at it here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Thanks so much for being with us this afternoon. You know, you can join the Bulls Sox Youth Academy on Martin Luther King Day. That's January 15th for a fun three-hour baseball or basketball camp. If you're a two-sports star, you can make a day of it by having fun developing your skills in both sports. Camps are open to boys and girls ages 5 to 14. Call 630-PLAY-BALL. Or visit BullsSoxAcademy.com to register today. Been talking a lot about the trade. Picking up Joaquin Soria and Luis Avilan were the White Sox over the uh, last Thursday, I suppose that was. This past this week. With two new arms in the bullpen, it's changed, obviously, uh, quite a bit. The construction of Ricky Renneria's 2018 pen. Want to get into exactly how that will uh how things may look and, and how it definitely shakes the depth chart. But first and foremost, let's take a look at the two new relievers 
and and what they've been up to the last couple of years. I'm going to start with Soria because I think that may take a little less time. White Sox fans very familiar with him in his first four years, five years in the big leagues, five seasons with the Kansas City Royals from 07 to 2011. He had racked up 160 saves, 315 innings. Guy who struck out quite a few batters, 9.7 per inning over those first five seasons in the bigs. And, you know, really, as you look at it, he's got one season over 11.7 or at 11.7 strikeouts per nine. Every other season at nine or over, the walks were fairly low uh, after being traded, uh, rather signing with the Texas Rangers after a bit of a hiccup there, an injury. Tommy John, as I recall, Rangers and then Detroit and then Pittsburgh and the Royals for the last two years. Uh, What's been interesting is, yeah, the walks have climbed up some and not insignificantly so. Two seasons ago with the Royals, his first back in KC 3.6 3.6 per nine. Last year, 3.2. Only had one season over, you know, around the two and a half mark in his career, and that was his first coming back with the Rangers in 2013. The strikeouts were up, though, 10.3 per nine. The walks come back to about 3.2 last year, and he'd been throwing harder. The ball did not leave the ballpark. 0.2 home runs per nine, remarkably no low numbers there. Oh, great FIP of 2.23. He kept the ball in the park. He put it on the ground. The whip was good. The whole number, the whole nine yards. And at 34 years old, if you're throwing as as hard as he did, throwing in that mid-90s range, Don Cooper has shown he can work with something like that more times than not. Luis Avilan is a little bit of a different profile. The walks have been an issue for Avilan in the past, but the velocity has been impressive, no doubt about it. Strikeouts are his forte, two years with the Dodgers, two and change. He threw 23 games with the Dodgers in 2015. He was traded by the Braves to the Dodgers. 27 games with the Dodgers in 2016, 61 games in 2017, 46 innings last year, 10.2 strikeouts per nine. That's after a 12.8 strikeouts per nine in 2016. The walks, though, four and a half is kind of what you're looking at. So, We'll talk with James Fegan of The Athletic on the other side about his take on the trade. But you know, my opinion there would be this. Uh, if Luis Avilan can harness the walks a bit, or I guess to a, a pretty large degree with Don Cooper and working with a guy who's you know, really figured out or at least shown that he's got the ability to take that left-handed reliever and mold him into something of a weapon as Coop has over his career with the White Sox, you start to think that maybe the arsenal Luis Avilan's bringing to the ballpark is going to be one that you know turns is a couple of heads and perhaps becomes a guy. Perhaps he can become a guy that other teams are looking for uh, to add a little depth to teams that are maybe making a run around that trade deadline. Avalon too, and maybe it's unfair. Maybe this is just me being making the uh, really easy comparison, the easy player comp. And we'll do player comps. Uh, I love Baseball Reference and how they do your player comparison pages down at the end, or compare, and how they do your player comparison lists down at the bottom of each page. But as I was reading a little bit about Luis Avalon and having remembered seeing him a couple of times during the season, I suppose I got to thinking now. Hold on for one second, because I know some White Sox fans have serious opinions on Matt Thornton, but I'm going to bring up the name of Matt Thornton. 
Hard-throwing lefty, a guy who had worked a little bit out of the rotation before getting into the Mariners system as primarily a reliever, or up to the Mariners, I should say, as a reliever. The White Sox bring him over, and with the walk issues he had, seven walks per nine in 19 games in his rookie season. And in 2005, you're looking at nine, uh, pardon, not nine, six, another 6.5 walks per nine. The strikeouts were always high, eight and a half. Nine comes over to the White Sox and becomes one of the more steady left-handed relievers for a good chunk of years. I'm I'm thinking that 08 to 2010 season where he was an All-Star, pretty decent run, and even 2011 good too. I, I know Matt had some hiccups, and you know having worked in the closer role for a little while, it, it, things didn't go exactly how he'd hope, but or how, how the White Sox would have hoped too. But you know if we're looking at at cases where a profile has kind of worked. I don't know even the body size. Like you know, Matt Thornton was six foot six, is six foot six, and Avilon's not working with all that height at six foot two. Uh, but perhaps there's a little bit of comparison there, where uh, the walks got crazy and the strikeouts will take over once that guy gets to the south side. Player comparison for Avilon. If you look at the Baseball Reference page, uh, maybe you're driving, so you can't quite look things up. His first similar pitchers through 27. Eric O'Flaherty, Kevin Segris, Justin Wilson, Jose Mijares, Jake McGee, who just re-signed with the Rockies, Carlos Diaz, Brian Shaw, who is also with the Rockies, Rex Brothers, who was a former Rocky. Strange coincidence there. Uh, those are his top handful. I, I won't do the player, all the player comps, I suppose, for Joaquin Soria. He's been around long enough, but Tom Hankey, Rafael Soriano, Francisco Cordero, Jose Valverde, Jeff Montgomery are his top five. The, the White Sox have in effect, assembled a bullpen here that has a lot more reputation to it now than it did a couple of days ago. The White Sox bullpen, before picking up Avilon, who in his career has thrown 263 innings of ball in the major leagues, and Soria, who's thrown 573 innings in the bigs, was dealing with a lot of guys who had not thrown much at all. Gregory Infante, Aaron Bummer, Jace Fry, Juan Manaya, Tiago Vieira, perhaps in that mix. Then you've kind of got the back end of a maybe Jose Ruiz still in Kobe, maybe Brian Clark, Rob Scahill was added on a minor league deal. So um, perhaps a, a spring invite works for him. Really, even Nate Jones, though he's been with the White Sox for quite some time, kind of new to the majors right around that Luis Avilon range of 251 innings so in this bullpen would have been an established veteran no doubt now you get to bump guys down just a little bit now you've got uh, a valued veteran core four right in this bullpen that's that's Nate Jones that's Danny Farquhar that's Luis Avilon and that's Joaquin Soria all kind of meshed up together there and that's I I think going to do a lot better it's going to settle some of the heartburn that perhaps Ricky Renneria may have had to face giving those late innings to a few relievers that the White Sox have started to get keen on, I think. The trade of Tiago Vieira, the trade for, rather, Tiago kind of lets you know the White Sox are high on him, right? That's We're not reading too many tea leaves there. Don Cooper said a number of times that as Aaron Bummer got to the big leagues, he was kind of the first of those you know relief arms that – the Sox have an eye on the future for, that they're kind of hopeful can mold into something long-term. So as 
as you get to now pick and choose, hopefully, in a much more regular way, the situations that a guy like Bummer or Vieira, if he's there, or perhaps Jace Fry, or even some of the younger guys like Clark Ruiz that we mentioned, now you're going to get to pick their situations a bit more often. You get to find those situations where they have the better matchups as opposed to forcing them into late innings and just, hey, the lineup is where it is. We need outs here in this eighth inning. I, I hope that that's sort of the way the White Sox are looking at, and it, it seems to be, at providing development opportunities for those young arms. You know, if you're a starter, it's about taking the ball every five days. And the White Sox certainly have a number of young ones there. And Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez, they've just got to be consistent. They've got to get out there and get it done on a regular basis. Same with Carson Fulmer. For relievers, especially in a season like this, maybe you are able to be creative is probably going too far. I'm not, I'm not saying that they have to get out of the box on how to use a bullpen, but as they move around some pieces and attack teams a little bit differently, you can find spots for some of these young guys to work out. Check in and stay up to date all day long. Listening online keeps you in touch while you work. WLS AM 890. Back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. It is our first show of 2018. And our first guest of the new year is James Fegan of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter. You can check his stuff online. Or you can listen to him right here on the show. Hey, James. Connor, the coldest part of the winter is not seeing your face. I know. But Bomb Cyclone out east has nothing, nothing. On you and I not hanging out and talking a little baseball during the off season. Uh, things going well for you? I know the the White Sox have have put a little bit of fire underneath the hot stove here with uh, with a move to pick up a couple of bullpen arms. So that's got to keep you at least somewhat somewhat warm. It's not exactly a cashmere sweater, but it's pretty good. A uh, series of sirens started going off in my house. Very good. The White Sox trade. Uh, my wife loved it. it. It was kind of an interesting move to, uh, and, and we talked with Scott Merkin of MLB.com on the show just prior to the, you know, players having to go onto the 40 man, and we kind of speculated he and I, and uh, that, that Jake Peter might be a 40 man type guy. He was not, and now the White Sox have moved him uh, in kind of an interesting move that's shuffled around some dollars and acquired some veteran bullpen arms. Do you think that first and foremost? Uh, do you think that this one was was just kind of a, an opportunity the White Sox couldn't pass up in that uh, it was somewhat creative and, and got a couple of things they needed despite the cost? I mean, you essentially, I would break it down as the White Sox got two major league quality relievers, uh, you know, with the run on relief help, the fact that the White Sox are claiming up Joaquin Soria and uh, Luis Avalon kind of tells you that they're not like basically fodder for late innings of maybe playoff teams. Mm-hmm. But the two guys who held their own in the majors last year and the White Sox are really fresh out of major league relievers by the time last season ended. And you can probably project a good quality uh, opening day seven relievers they can go with now. And what they gave up for was, you know, they basically wind up spending $9 million when you factor in the money they're receiving added to their payroll. Their payroll is probably still going to be bottom 10, if not bottom five uh, in all of baseball. So they're really not at a point where they're spending a whole lot right now. You know, other than Jerry Reinsdorf, I don't think anyone's really sweating that $9 million. And they gave up Jake Peter, who, you know, 
as he put up good numbers in AAA. There was some optimism about him. Rick Hahn mentioned him as a prospect to watch at the GME. But this was a guy, if you look at the roster machinations, they were prepared to lose him in the Rule 5. They didn't protect him in the 40-man roster uh, when that deadline came about. And bef- the day before the Rule 5 draft, Han basically said, you know, we're, we're prepared to lose, you know, Jake Peter. We're prepared to lose Jordan Guerrero. We've kind of, like, made our priorities, and, you know, we're prepared to put these guys uh, – we're prepared to lose these guys if it comes to that. They wound up not losing them, and instead, Peter is the only guy they give up in a trade where they net – they basically – fill out the rest of their bullpen and they don't have to, you know, put Chase Fry out there maybe before he's ready. They don't have to necessarily rush Zach Birdie back as much as they, they might be inspired to. They can continue to give more time to guys like Brian Clark uh, to kind of mature and show they're major league ready. So it really, it's not a, I don't think Joe Canceria is going to be closing out, uh, you know, a playoff game for the White Sox. I don't know if he'll even, you know, win the closer role over Nate Jones, uh, but, He's striking out nearly 30% of guys last season. Uh, you know, he had a year RA, you know, below four. He had, you know, advanced metrics suggesting he should be even better. Even though it's his 11th year in the majors, he's not washed up. Uh, Luis Avalon is a left-hander. Um, they haven't really had much steady lefty relief for years. Uh, Aaron Bummer showed some promise, but now he's not someone you have to lean on quite as hard. They got two guys who can, you know, make games not last forever in 2018, and they didn't really have to give up anything that they were planning to have for the future for it. James Fegan of The Athletic, our guest here on White Sox Weekly. You can follow him on Twitter at J.R. Fegan. Let me ask you this, James. I wonder, you know, you mentioned whether Soria would be closing games in this next season. I don't know. Ricky Renneria seems to me a guy who who likes to define bullpen roles. With the bullpen he had with the Chicago Cubs in his first managerial experience, it was bad. With the White Sox, it went through so many changes last season. You had David Robertson, so that kind of stands alone. Do you think he'd be a guy who, who would be interested in, or for that matter, the White Sox front office, be one that's interested in going to something a little bit more non-traditional, a little bit away from the anointed closer position you know he is willing to uh you know waver a little bit he definitely was willing to bring in robertson into tie games the ninth inning a lot he was willing to use robertson multiple innings a lot more than i believe robertson had ever been Mm -hmm. um before the season and if you talk to robertson it was clear that renneria communicated that to him there was no there's no uh indication robertson was remotely irritated or troubled by you know kind of variations in his role during the shuffle, um, there was at one point where he like anointed Tyler Clippert as the closer, but right. definitely was willing to go away from that uh, when he saw the hot hand. I, there was he let like Anthony Swarzak shut down that Cubs game with like four or five outs near the end. Now they want to trading Swarzak a day or two later, so maybe they're kind of uh, showing him off. But uh, I, I don't think he's rigid, but I also don't anticipate a closer by committee. Rick Hahn mentioned Nate Jones enough times during his conference call yesterday as someone they expect to be healthy and someone they expect to be back to his previous levels that I would expect him to be the de facto closer or the leading closer candidate by the time spring training opens and it'd be, you know, it would take some ineffectiveness or, uh, you know, injury problems to kind of push him away and open that up a bit more. I think Soria will probably be an opportunity to pick up one or two if Jones is, you know, worked back-to-back days or worked multiple innings uh, at some point in the season. I don't think he, like, literally no one else can close a, a game for the White Sox like Addison Reed in 2013. But I would expect Renneria to have a closer but not tie his hands to it with his dedication to the closer.
So let's throw Nate Jones into the mix with Soria and with Luis Avalon, both of them just acquired in the trade that we're talking about here. Uh, Soria owed $9 million this year and on the books for 2019 one way or the other, although the price tag is small. Avilon, it was uh, ARB3 guy. Mutual option for Soria. For mutual her. option, yes, that's correct. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, let's see, where do we leave off? Oh, yeah, Luis Avilon in uh, ARB3. We'll see what he gets uh, what he gets nested up with. And you've got Nate Jones, who is on the books for just under $4 million this year and with uh, some options in the coming seasons, Rick Hahn has mentioned the idea, the ability, the the prior history of flipping relievers and and making getting into that marketplace for not insignificant prospects in return. Do you figure any of those guys line up as as potential flips? Do we figure that these are placeholders for the young men that you mentioned coming up? Is it a combination of I guess everything? Uh, absolutely, I would think they are candidates for flips. Uh, Hahn definitely specifically mentioned that as a possibility. For Soria down the road, I mean, he's essentially an expiring contract. And, you know, given that he had his, you know, uh, highest velocity of his career last year and uh, one of his higher strikeout rates, uh, even with a like a 390 ERA, I think it's very feasible he has a good first half and he's someone you can trade. You know, he's not going to bring back a, a stud. He might bring back somewhat of the same prospect ilk of uh, Jake Peter, mm-hmm. but maybe he's in a position uh, that's not second base that doesn't have someone who's basically – salted in there for six years like Yaman Kata is and, you know, helps the White Sox another way. Avalon certainly has the bat-missing numbers and, you know, the fact that he's a lefty. You know, if the White Sox are able to get a prospect for, you know, Dan Jennings, who's kind of a uh, kind of just a serviceable left-hander, I, I can't see, I can't rule out Avalon being the kind of the same way with, I believe, two years of service time left. Jones's contract is so team-friendly. I was kind of amazed that he wasn't uh, – you know, pursued more last off season when mm-hmm. the White Sox, uh, you know, were kind of selling everything that wasn't nailed down. I think if he, you know, returns to his healthy form uh, this season, builds back some of that value. I don't know if the White Sox are necessarily looking to move him, uh, but given that they, if the right price came along for Tony Canley, who was pretty young and had four years of control left, they moved him. I wouldn't rule out Jones uh, being someone they move as well, if because someone as good as he is and as affordable as he is, the demand's going to be there midseason for teams that, you know, care about winning games in the postseason. What kind of sense do you get, James, uh, about the White Sox making some core, some sort of uh, splash, I guess, in the free agent market? We saw over the um, toward the end of the week some rumors about Mike Moustakis being mentioned on MLB Network as, as a potential fit for the Sox. We... We've heard a couple of things. You know, the Machado rumors were, were fairly interesting. Are there are there signs that perhaps they're moving at least in a direction of, of really thinking about making a move like that? That's kind of atypical of where they're at in their in their horizon. I mean, I think they're willing to make a free agent move or a trade move uh, at this point for someone who's established who they think can be effective for three or four or five years down the road. That's why Manny Machado is perfect. I mean, he's only 25. He'd be, you know, ideal in free agency next offseason because he can definitely be someone you expect to be productive through his prime. Kristen Yelich, you know, is kind of the same age bracket with five years of control left. The thing is, you can't really bank on, you know, landing Manny Machado uh, in free agency next year. He's going to be extremely hotly pursued. He's going to get uh, a wealth of offers and, you know, you, you you can't even you know guarantee that if the White Sox put out the top offer that he wouldn't necessarily pick a major market or something like that. Mm. And so, 
it, it would behoove them to really check in on every you know, third base candidate. I don't really love Mike Musaka's a long-term profile. Whenever you're signing a free agent, uh, you're mostly expecting uh, that first year to get you the biggest, you know, return on your value. And for the White Sox to sign Mike Moustakas on the idea that he's still in his 20s and sign him for a 2018 season where they're not really expecting to be competitive and him being kind of a larger frame, larger build guy, I'm not really sure how well he projects. You know, it's two, three, four years out where you're really getting the most life out of that contract. Maybe you want to wait till the off season and uh, you know, 2019 and get someone like Josh Donaldson or uh, you know, Marvin Gonzalez who might be able to immediately affect a team that's more expected to be contended in 2019. So let's move into the rotation a little bit with the White Sox adding a couple of arms into the bullpen, James. And, you know, who knows, there could be a couple of uh, non-roster type guys, an Anthony Swarzak type ad there, taking a shot in spring training and seeing what happens. Uh, there's the rotation left. You have a piece up on The Athletic about Reynaldo Lopez and what he needs to do to perhaps get a few more innings for the White Sox in that rotation. They may have to get more out of the starters with some uncertainty around Carlos Rodon. I guess taking those two things together, how do you see things perhaps shaping up for the White Sox in the next couple of weeks? Uh, and, and help us understand what you uh, what you wrote about Lopez here on the site. You know, as, as much as I express some doubts about Lopez as far as he really needs to develop a, a breaking ball with more consistency, you know, he had a curveball. He was also developing a slider for most of last year. To really, you know, provide confidence he's going to miss bats at a level that's in line with some of the potential he has, I think the White Sox are going to give him every opportunity this next season to start in the rotation every five days and, you know, work that out. That said, you really can't assume that Carlos Rodon is going to start opening day and be ready, and you really don't want to put an extra strain on, you know, young arms like Giolito and Carson Fulmer to, you know, shoulder a lot of innings. So I think at least one veteran starter would seem like a, you know, just a, a, a safety valve uh, at this point to start the season with in rotation and in case anybody needs, you know, a break from their turn. Someone like Miguel Gonzalez is kind of still in their price range and was beloved in the clubhouse and, you know, was very serviceable throughout the season. You know, people have talked about Jesse Chavez, you know, at a Hector Santiago reunion, if his shoulder is healthy, would make sense and be in their line of, uh, you know, budget. They should have somebody who can be counted on taking the ball every five days to kind of take the stress off the rest of rotation. That way you're not rushing Kopech up for an innings need at any point or rushing up Spencer Adams or Jordan Stevens or anyone in AAA. And, you know, you can give Carson Fulmer a break in rotation. You can give Giulio a break in rotation. You're not piecing things together until Radon comes back. It would just make sense to also be another person if, you know, Gonzalez is able to be flipped to the deadline. You have another veteran starter who could possibly, you know, provide a need for a contender in August or something like that. It would it would just make sense. They have the budget room to do it. It seems like a logical ad at some point before February. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of White Sox fans are looking and uh, you're writing and guiding them to it. James, appreciate it as always. Thanks so much. We will uh, we'll definitely check you up in uh, SoxFest to see what's going on. All right. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, James. Thanks again. Uh, White Sox games are better with a group. Group events are perfect for clients, employees, celebrating or fundraising. Bring your group of 10 or more for a great experience with specially priced tickets. It's never too early to start planning 2018. For more information, call 312-674-6330 or visit whitesox.com. couple of rumors in the mill, and the White Sox have had their name put into it. Address a couple of those when we come back here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. This is WLS AM 890. 
with your morning coffee and all day long. Listening online keeps you in touch while you work. WLS AM 890. We are closing things up here on White Sox Weekly, our first show of 2018. You can give the perfect gift for the biggest Sox fan in your life during the fan experience sale. Experiences include on-field access during batting practice, change the base, and more. All experiences include game tickets and VIP perks. For more information, call 312-674-5396 or email SoxExperience at WhiteSox.MLB.com today. I'll give you the email again. Uh, that's SoxExperience at WhiteSox.MLB.com today. All right, so a couple of pieces of housekeeping before we get into a rumor or two that's been rolling around. First, we're getting close to SoxFest, and I am thrilled that we're going to be out there for a third straight season here at WLS. We're going to bring you a bunch of interviews and shows. I think our Saturday show is going to be the big blowout extravaganza. We'll let you know times and where we'll be at the hotel for SoxFest in just a couple of weeks here, probably the probably the Sunday before Sox Fest, so just a couple of weeks. We do, however, have our very first broadcast ready to roll for the spring training schedule. That's out already. It'll be February 24th against the Mariners, and we'll be there to broadcast the game. That'll be the first one. It's an afternooner. Ed, DJ, the whole shebang, a pregame, a postgame, everything. As you can tell, uh, by my voice literally jumping through this microphone, I am pretty jacked for it. We'll be down there in Arizona. We'll bring you a couple of interviews. That White Sox Weekly the next day on the 25th will be chock full of interviews. Uh, so you won't want to miss that. We'll, I'm sure at some point in that week or the week after, uh, talk with a couple of front office folk with the White Sox. Uh, Rick Hahn, Chris Getz, and Nick Hostetler are all likely to make appearances and you know what we do in spring training. We keep you up to date on your squad, and we're really looking forward to making that trip. So uh, if you want to make that trip with us, if you haven't planned yet to make your trip to SoxFest, start doing that now. We'd love to see you in Arizona. White Sox would love to see you at games, too. And, boy, we'd just love to see you at SoxFest as well. A rumor had popped up, I guess, or I don't know how to characterize it best. I don't know that it was necessarily a rumor that Dan O'Dowd was kind of pushing around on MLB Network, but it was certainly a, th a thought he had that got legs and ran some about Mike Moustakas perhaps being added into the White Sox fold, a free agent target for the White Sox, a fit, as as Dan put it on the show. Uh, we talked a bit with James Fegan about it. He's not a huge Mike Moustakas fan, and I, I'm not exactly either. And I only mean that from a, a long-term buy point of view. Uh, Moustakis, though, you know, he fits at third base, and the White Sox have an opportunity there, as much as Yolmer Sanchez has kind of put his stamp on deserving some playing time in 2018. Signing a guy like Moustakis with the potential he's got, okay, all right, kind of see how that would work. On the flip side, the White Sox believe they've drafted their third baseman of the future in Jake Berger out of Missouri State in the first round of this last draft. So, you know, fitting a third baseman into the long-term plan doesn't exactly work with Moustakis, but a bridge player he might be, and a, and, a, and a trade deadline guy, maybe not this year, but next, or who knows. You had some options there. So I can, I can understand where the fit might be. That said, I'd be a little surprised if that type of free agent cash splash, that's right, coined it right here on the show, uh, is, is exactly in the White Sox future. 
you, you heard James mention it earlier, and I, I think he's right on. A guy like Christian Yelich, a guy like JT Real Muto, even those type of under control players for you know the reasonable money that are more in your more in your growth window, I guess. And from that aspect, I mean, you know, Mike Moustakis is going to start this season at age 29. He'll end it at age 30. He's born in September. So this will be his age 29 year. How much do you want to be invested into that growth profile? How much do you want to be invested into a guy that's at that age bracket? For me, and I, and I think this is kind of a conversation that we had when the Manny Machado rumors popped up with, with Sox fans, with Scott Merkin at the time too. For me, if you can roll that clock back four or five years, like Machado being 26, all right, let's talk, let's have that conversation. If it's the 30-year-old for, you know, whatever, 15, 16, $17 million you're, you're going to be looking at, I, I wonder exactly how that fits. Not saying that it can't, not saying that it can't, but it's just a bit of a different long-term view, I suppose, at that position. When you boil it down, though, it's it's not so much that you have to worry about blocking prospects. This isn't uh, like the trade they just made with the Dodgers and with the Royals in that Jake Peter really had kind of, after the White Sox acquired Yohan Mankata, really kind of run out of spots, right? Shortstops took, second base is up, Jake's looking at spots going, you know, I don't know how I break through here. Another organization came in and hopefully helped out his career like the, like the White Sox did in moving in, too. So... This is a bit different in that Berger's a little bit farther off, and, and who knows? There are other positions that Berger could play as well. The, the timeline, the horizon, works a little bit differently in this case. I think more likely, if we're talking about free agency, and I suppose that's how we'll wrap the show this afternoon, if we're talking about free agency, I would expect more arms. Not to say that a position player here or there couldn't be added for, for the right price and mixed in. You know, maybe another outfielder. We'll see. But I would expect more arms to be the way the White Sox go. And, and if they can get creative, it seems Rick Hahn's been more than willing to do so. That The, the, the trade that just happened on Thursday was certainly a creative one. Uh, there has been no fear in making a deal like that. There is no better way to watch a White Sox game than in premium seating. The Chicago White Sox offer all-inclusive club areas, private suites, and the best locations and accommodations. We've got the perfect option for two people or the whole office. For more information, call 312-674-6330 or visit whitesocks.com. That's going to do it for us on the show this afternoon. Remember, our first broadcast of spring training games, February 24th against the Mariners. It's a Saturday. Mark it down on your calendars. It's certainly down on mine. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Connor McKnight. We'll catch you next week for more White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890.